All right, podcast listeners, that was quite a show. Um, talking with Brian, started out discussing pastors, what's the role of pastors. Then um, we branched into abortion, talking about homelessness in California. I just love listening to Brian talk, and I feel like every time we talk, it's just a really productive, awesome conversation. Uh, whoever's listening, I hope you enjoy. Uh, I was recording in a Panera Bread that started out pretty empty and ended very full right around lunchtime. So that was my bad. I hope the background and the audio sounds okay. But I hope you enjoy this episode of Religion and Politics. You there, Curtis? Hey, how's it going? Real good. So, so what's going on? Let's see here. Say it again. What was that? So, what's going on with you? Oh man, a lot. Last yeah? time, yeah, the last time we did one of these was the end of January, and now we're in the beginning of March. <laughs> but I had a. A grandfather passed away, had to do a last-minute trip out to California, and then, like, literally as soon as I got back from California, um, I went on a job interview, got hired, and then started my first day of the new job yesterday. So, <laughs> what are you doing? It's been nuts. <clears throat> well, I, I really, long-term, I want to be involved in manufacturing, uh-huh. um, but the place where I'm working at just will not promote me for anything, like not even an inch. They, they will not promote me at all off the floor. So I just came to a point. I did five job interviews in seven months. So I came to a point with them and I just said, look, like if I did five interviews external, you know, elsewhere, I would be I'd have be making more money right now. And they, were, they just kind of shrugged their shoulders like, oh, well. And so I literally... I did. I posted my resume on a Sunday night, and Monday morning, the company that I just got hired with called me. Like they woke me up from my sleep, and um, all it is, it's it's a retention call center with Spectrum Internet, and um, all you do is you just pick up the phone and talk to customers who either want to drop their cable, drop their internet, and then you just try to keep them and lower their bill, give them a lower bill. And then you get commissions based on how low you or how much you help customers with lowering their bill. So um, I actually really like it. Like yesterday was the first day and um, I I like multitasking and it's a lot of multitasking and, you know, like, like, you know, like like just like messing around with like stats and, you know, like people who are like baseball nerds. They like all right. the stats and everything. It's kind of like that because there's all these different services and tiers that you can put someone in and and you can, you know, manipulate what services they have to help them get whatever they're looking for out of their service. So it's uh, – but it's really cool. It's a really good job. And they do eight weeks of training. I've never had a company do eight weeks of training. And you don't even pick up the phone for the first month. You just do training and listen to calls. And then the second month of your training is when you start slowly start picking up phone calls with, with people. So pretty cool. I'm excited about it. But yeah. how, have you, how have you been? You had a funeral and a wedding two weeks ago? Yeah, I had a funeral and a wedding two weeks ago. It wasn't supposed to be like that. What had happened was... The funeral was um, scheduled for the week before, and then oh. at the last, then the people changed it. Oh. And so, uh, but I was already committed to the wedding. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, I mean, it was really, it was fine in that, um, it was fine in that the wedding wasn't uh, too far away, you know, so. Okay. Uh, it, it all worked out. And then I actually had a, uh, a friend of mine who's in ministry uh, really kind of take the bulk of the funeral. 
uh, and I really did that for a couple of reasons. Um, one is he was at one point in his life, he was far more active in ministry. Mm. And he, he had told me since his wife has passed away, he hasn't been as active. Mm. And so I was trying to encourage him to, I feel. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he, he's been a committed believer for sure. He just hasn't really been um, behind a pulpit as much. Yeah. And so I was just trying to encourage him in that respect. I don't, uh, so that was good. And uh, because, you know, one of the things that, that we do at Connections, one of our goals is to encourage people in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, because it's a smaller venue, uh, the, the more time you spend behind a pulpit, the more comfortable that you get behind the pulpit. And so back, back, hey. I lost you there. I know. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. I think so. So so what happens is there's this stupid feature on the app, and there's no way to turn it off. So if you hold the phone up to your ear, it starts recording. And if you set the phone down or it thinks that you're setting the phone down, it (laughs) shuts, it ends the conversation. (laughs) So what I did is... I have um, my. I just have my phone sitting on the table in front of me, and then I uh, have headphones on. So are you are you actually talking on the phone like a phone? Yeah, call? my phone. Yeah, no. yeah. But what I could do, like, um, do you use do you ever use headphones? Do you have like do you have a pair? Uh, like, my wife has a pair. Okay. Well, like down the road, you can just do that. Um, it might be better because I think that's what's happening is it's that stupid sensor that it has and it, you set the phone down or you move it the wrong way and then it sh- ends the conversation. <laughs> so, huh. yeah, Dude. yeah, it's, it's, it's just technology. It would be more ideal if we were staying in the same room talking to each other, but obviously we're 2,800 miles apart, so there's not much you can do about that, but We'll we'll figure it out. Um, I also want to see if there's a way that I can just like I'm using my phone right now. I want to see if there's a way I can just record with. Um, I don't think there is, but with my computer. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any way to do that. It'd be it'd be more ideal to just be able to use my computer, or even more ideal if we could both like log in instead of me having to send you a link, and then yeah. you clicking the link. So. There's definitely some glitches, and a lot of these companies, as time goes on, they improve their service. So it's just it's just temporary, you know. I'm just I'm in it for the long haul. We'll we'll figure it out as things go along. Sure, but yeah, but no. So you had your your friend do the funeral, basically, right? Yeah. So you know, it's funny because you know I was um, I was talking to. Uh, I was talking to one of the pastors at Cornerstone, uh, you know, and so, you know, the, the home church movement is kind of picking up a lot of momentum, hmm. which, you know, which is fine, except, um, you know, I don't know where the next generation of pulpit pastors would come from if there's no pulpit. I don't think there needs to be. That's just my opinion. I mean, we could get more into that, but I... Uh... I feel like everyone should be a pastor, you know, um, kind, kind of like, you know, like an army, like there, there should be a, a, a large number of leaders. So if the general gets killed, there's someone right underneath him who can step up and assume that role. And I feel like, you know, like, like a, like a husband should be like a pastor to his family. So, if, you, you know, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> so, so we know that it says that, um, you know, don't let many of us become teachers because we accrue a stricter judgment. Mm-hmm. So, but we also know that the Bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved so that we can give an answer to everyone for the hope that lies within us. Yeah. So um, I think... One of the things that I've seen 
uh, a friend of mine that he did, and, and, and it was helpful to him, was he used to do a small Bible study, and then what he used to do is he used to um, go, like, say, okay, next week you're teaching, next week you're teaching, and he said that he found it caused the people the week that they knew they were teaching to dig in more. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Yeah. But the flip side would be, yeah. Uh, the flip side would be that um, it's it's kind of like um, I use the analogy of a boxer. If a boxer is going to be fighting in a few weeks, his intensity of training picks up because he knows that in just a few weeks, someone's going to try to knock his head off in the ring, and so he needs to be prepared. Yeah, if that same fighter doesn't have any fights scheduled for a while, he's still a fighter, but he's not going to train as intently. Right. And so I think as Christians, is we're more active in evangelism. There's an urgency in our studying of the scriptures because we want to be able to uh, rightfully portray the gospel. Now. Um, right now, we're at, Terry Yearwood and I are actually teaching a, an evangelism class at Cornerstone. Oh, that's awesome. Night. That's cool. And one of the things that people say is, I don't feel like I know the scripture well enough. And I always tell yeah. people, don't let that stop you. Because if somebody asks you a question and you the answer to it, you'll know the answer in the morning. Right. You know, you'll, right. you'll go home and look it up. Right. So, so, but when you say um, you're not sure that we need the pulpit, unpack that for me. Well, I'm more, I I think, no, I think we definitely need the pulpit. I think everyone should be engaged. Basically what you're, you're, the example you're giving where the guy went around his small, his small group and made everyone participate and and take a turn leading. I feel like there should be something more like that. If every person was a pastor or everyone had a role to speak, you might start having issues of theology and doctrine, maybe, you know, controlling the quality of doctrine that's being preached. You might have issues with that. But um, I guess for me, I, I kind of question the format. Like where do we get that format where you, you go into a church and you know, is, is this, you go into this building, you sing some songs, the pastor gets up and preaches, everyone just sits there, and then, and then you sing more songs and you leave. Like that, right. to me, that format is so strange. It's like, where, where did that come from? You know, where- you, you know you're absolutely right. Cause, and that's one of the things that I've heard Francis uh, say a few times is, if you're on a desert island with just your Bible would you do church the way we do it? And and then yeah. when he says that, you go, oh, I never thought about that. But now that you mention it, you're right. I, I just question the format. I don't question the pulpit because I think that is important. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like that is, is a, um, you know, it, a tenant, if you will, I, maybe tenant's not the right word, but um, you know, like praying, studying your Bible, um, you know, there's basic practices that are, are healthy behaviors of a, of a good spiritual life. I think the pulpit's one of them. But I question that format. Right. Right. I do, too. Um, I do, too, because, because it, it's more a religious tradition that we've fallen into. Yeah. And even though we will say we're not religious, we have a relationship or, or whatever uh, – phrase you want to use the truth is that's a religious system and if you were to visit a church that didn't hold to that format you'd go wow that's so weird how come they're not doing that yeah yeah well i think it's so weird too when you go to church on sunday and it's almost like this like it almost it's not entertainment but it it's it's weird that like this one guy gets up and presents a message he has it's a presentation especially right. out here in Grand Rapids it's more of a presentation and everyone just kind of sits back and relaxes and and ingests information and then they leave and there's there's no even if the pastor encourages people to take action on a certain subject 
there, there's no real action that comes out of it necessarily. You know, it's, and uh, I, I feel like that, that format almost breeds apathy. You know, it's, oh, it's it almost is. like, like this, this uh, entertain me, maybe entertain is not the best word, but the, I'll just use it. You know, it's just like entertain me, just, just, you know, <laughs> this like serve me mentality. I come to church for a presentation, you know. I would say entertainment's the perfect word because that's what it is. Okay. And people aren't going to get convicted or transformed. They're going to be entertained. And most of the time on Sunday morning, about halfway into it, they're thinking about where they're going to go eat lunch. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and then if you go out to lunch with people, nobody's really saying, well, what did you think about what he taught on John 14? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Happen that way, and so, and even like communion, we look at scriptures. Communion is a communion meal. We've we've downsized it to a piece of cracker and a shot of grape juice. Hmm. Yeah, right. And yeah. so, if, and if you were to go somewhere, say we're gonna have a communion, people would think it was strange. Yeah, and then yeah. you hear people say stuff like, "Well." You know, if uh, you have communion every week, that's too religious. And, you know, that's what this church does. And, but then Jesus said, as often as you do this, as often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of seemed like Jesus was telling the church to have a lot of communion. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. But, um, but no, it is. And, and, you know, it's funny because at, at, at our church, I have people who come once every six to ten weeks but after the service will come up and start telling me what I need to do <laughs> you guys should really do this you guys should really do that uh-huh. and so when we when we started um, and you know it's funny because some of the very things they talk about teaching we teach but they're not there yeah but um, so when we started that was why we did the meal afterwards it was supposed to be a communion meal where the body would formed relationships mm-hmm. and um you know one of the guys that's really critical about some of the stuff we do came up and says you know i visited uh, my friend's church last week and um he uh, they played us they play music after the service too while people are leaving he goes you think we should do that and i said no he goes well you know i really enjoyed it when we did that i said oh do they have a meal he goes no i go okay well we do <laughs> We're setting up the tables. And I, you know, I told him, um, like, now, we have a couple that's responsible for worship. And since they're responsible for worship, whenever someone says anything to me about worship, I say, you need to go talk to George and Aaron. I don't make any decisions. I don't request songs. I don't, none of that. Hmm. You know? And so, because I believe that um, a healthy church has shared leadership. Yeah. And, and, and so... Uh, the only reason he even came up to me is he went to them first and they go, no, nah, I don't think so, but you can ask Brian. And so when he was talking to me, I said, you know, if you really enjoyed it, you should go there. Cause we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we, we, we people because we want people to feel like they're part of something. And I, I joke from the pulpit, but I'm being very serious when I say, you know, half the reason we feed you is so you can pay attention to the message and not worry about where you're going to go eat. Mm. You know? Yeah, it's really and, good. And, and you know, uh, so, but, so in, in your generation, there's been some reassessing of some of the stuff that we do with the church, which I think is super, super healthy. And, and there's a lot of stuff that's being exposed where, uh, it's like, well, yeah, we don't really know why we're doing this. We just always have done it. Yeah, I f- I feel like uh, the f- that rigid structure of sing songs, preach, maybe sing some more songs and leave. I feel like it's um, kind of the last uh, the the last what were I looking for? Like vestibule of the the suit and tie format you know of church like you know i i I think it could be completely torn down i think christians would be better off you know i I really do i don't think it helps anyone i think i think going to church 
think you can't go wrong going to church, but I think it's probably the lowest functioning form that the traditional service structure. I think it's like the lowest functioning form of Christianity. <laughs> you know, it's better than nothing. <laughs> but so, if you look at it like, like I'll hear people say. Um, you know, you you got to go to church because you've got to be under somebody's authority, or you you got to be under the pastor's covering. And I always ask them, where do you where do you see that in the Bible? Yeah, you know what I mean. And and so uh, you know, it does talk about shep- caring for the people you shepherd. But let's let's be honest. If you go to a church with fifteen hundred people, that pastor is shepherding you personally, right? He, he couldn't. And 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 some of the large churches make. Uh, make it a, a priority to have small groups and stuff for that very reason. And some do a wonderful job. I'm not, I'm not critical of that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to say, yeah, you know, uh, I do this cause I'm under pastor so-and-so you're, you're not really under him. You just go to his church. Yeah. You know? And uh, so if you were to, if you were to go to someone and say, um, you know, I, I feel the Lord has called me to this and this. And you were to go talk to the pastor. If the pastor doesn't really know you, yeah, you know, unless yeah. it was some something way, uh, way out there that was unbiblical, he really couldn't give an informed insight. And I think too, um, there's there, it's a double-edged sword because I, I think in a lot of churches we've given pastors way too much power. Uh, and then the flip side is I think we've put on some of these pastors they feel this tremendous. Uh, burden to be all things to all people yeah you know it's it's just like um if you go to a church and the pastor's married well you just assume that the pastor's wife teaches the bible study <laughs> and it's like well why do you do that there's no biblical qualification for being a pastor's wife yeah You're a believer right in in so, pioneer days it would be practical because she's there and she's available you know if you're right. if you're <laughs> You know, trying to form a new church in, in out, out west in the 1800s, that makes sense, you know, for practical reasons. But other than that, yeah, it's like, what, where, do you, where do you designate that? Where does that come from? <laughs> it's, yeah, a weir- and- it's weird to think that one guy has some kind of, like, halo over him, some, you know, like, that makes him different from the rest of us, that he's able to guide people's lives and you know it's it's strange to me it's so strange and the sad part is in in, it is strange um but what happens is i i think in in what i've seen in my personal experience so it could just be my christian experience but i've seen it enough to go when somebody comes to church and they're a new believer and somebody's introduced his pastor so and so, the new believer assumes, okay, that guy's got a direct pipeline to God. Yeah. That's why he's pastor. And then yeah. you're a Christian long enough and you see all the horrible, horrible things that happen that pastors get involved in and, and, and do and they fall and, and and so it can shake your faith if your foundation is in Christ, if your foundation's in a pastor. Right. Um, so, and, 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 you know, there was a guy, I won't, I won't say his name, uh, but I really, I found him to be one of the uh, best preachers I ever heard. And, and he spoke at some big conferences. I mean, he was well-respected by well-respected theologians and, and he was gifted in communication and, um, and yet, he fell. Hmm. And he didn't. He didn't, and the, the 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 sad part was he didn't necessarily come confront hmm. that he was having an affair. Hmm. So that really um, that was a, a a sad thing for me because um, not because, and, and by the way, I'm all men are susceptible to sexual sin. Right. And, and and that tells you he's not is either lying or dead. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I remember, I'm not, you know what I mean? Yeah. The Bible says heed, at least you fall, you know? And, but, and, and so that was harsh for me because I was like, how is it that a guy can get up week after week 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Knowing the scriptures like you do. I, and I don't know. And I, I don't even want to speculate. And then again, I just heard of a guy that I used to uh, really like to listen to. Right. He has a, he had a congregation of 12,000 people. He had all these satellite churches and um, he put the church $42 million in debt. And a secular talk radio guy exposed him for wanting to uh, plant child porn stuff on the website of a magazine that wrote a critical article about him. Wow. And, and I'm like... That's some Mark Driscoll stuff right there. <laughs> how, does that, how does that happen? Yeah. You know, and, and that just recently happened. And, and, and you wow. know... And so, you know, I don't, I don't think it's good to put pastors on pedestals. I don't think it's healthy. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, um, Todd Nyswinger at um, Cornerstone to me is probably uh, one of the best examples of, yeah, he's a, a great teacher. He knows his word, but when he's, you know, eating ribs with you on a barbecue, he's just another one of the guys and that's how he comes off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't come off as I'm the man and, and his wife is a, a very caring woman, you know. Sometimes, in in my experience, some pastors' wives not, um, but then I think they probably have their guards up because their husbands are probably getting attacked all the time. Right. Yeah. And so I think we'd do a lot better if we just changed it to this guy's a gifted teacher. It doesn't yeah. mean he he knows what you should do with your four hundred one k. Yeah. Exactly. It means he can teach the word. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's call it out for what it is, though, because the reason people designate all that power and responsibility over their life to a pastor is because people don't want to figure out the problems of life for themselves. And they, they want someone to tell them how, how to do everything, you know, and they want, they want to have a guarantee that they're always going to please God. And it's, it's almost like a way of... Um, of distributing responsibility for your life because if if you make a bad decision and it's a bad decision because your pastor told you to then when you meet god it's not your fault it's you know when you, at the end of your life it wasn't your fault that you made that mistake it was the pastor's fault you know and and so it's like it's almost like a way of like shedding responsibility distributing risk if you will <laughs> for displeasing god and and not taking not having to take time to figure out life's problems for yourself. I really think that's what it comes down to. Well, Curtis, that is probably the best insight I've ever heard on that. You're absolutely right. I've never heard it worded that way, but you're absolutely right. I'm going to steal that one from you. Go steal all you want. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. Because you've met those people. I've met them as well. Pastor so-and-so said this and this and this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, it's funny you should bring that up because so when you hear about pastors falling in adultery, uh, you know, they started counseling. And by the way, in my opinion, by the way, I don't really do counseling. I'm a preacher. I'm a counselor. Yeah. I can give you a suggestion if you ask, but I'll tell you I'm not a counselor. But first of all, no man should be counseling a woman alone. Yeah. I agree with Absolutely. that. And then, uh, but pastor or no pastor, I mean, even just, uh, if you're a married man, especially, you got no business eating someone for lunch or any of that stuff. <laughs> Brian, that's sexist. You can't say that. <laughs> and uh, if, if, if people say, well, um, that's legalistic, oh, that's realistic. Yeah. You know, no, Brian, it's sexist. <laughs> because how about this? Everybody you hear about that has an affair, not everybody, but most, I don't know anyone that gets up on Monday and goes, you know, today I'm going to pursue an affair, you know, and, but the people that I've heard of, they all say the same thing. I never thought this would happen. Yeah. Right. So yeah. how do you go from, I'm this godly man, come to me, I'll give you counseling, married women. How do I get you in the bed? How, what scripture do I twist? How does that work? And I've always wondered, how does that even happen? Mm -hmm. And then you hear about these guys that um, they have two years 
to your affairs. And, but now, I also think there's a lot of people in a position of trust either. You know what I mean? A position of what? A position of pastor that shouldn't be there. Oh, right. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, it's like... If well, your dad... Yeah. Go ahead. I, I think it's a matter of needs, though, because if you... Whether it's like an emotional or physical need, whatever it is... Um, it, I mean, let's compare it to food. If you were starving, you would steal food. If you were starving bad enough, you would kill someone for food. doesn't matter right. what your morals are. And it's kind of the same thing. Like if people are in a relationship, they've been married for 15, 20 years, and it's just, every, every, it's just a dried up relationship and your needs are not being met, eventually right. people, you lose your morals. You know, and, right. and that I think that's a lot of what it is. It's just desperation. It's it, it's really easy to have a bad marriage, and it's really easy to meet someone else casually that uh, meets that emotional or physical need, whatever it is. You know, that's true. Uh, and, uh, and 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 you know, it's very true. And I think there are things that happen in relationships that one spouse does to the other that opens the door for adultery. However, no matter how dry it is, it's still adultery and God yeah it when you do stuff like that. And, and you know, because I mean if we were to look at it from uh, the Lord's perspective, the church can be dry. The yeah. church can be a worn out relationship. Yeah. You know, yeah. or if we look uh, let's look at Israel. He called Israel his bride. And, and they had some real dry times. Yeah. You know, but God didn't cast them off forever. Right, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, marriage is hard. Um, but, uh, and that's why I have such a hard time with these Christian radio programs that get these people on that uh, write a book on how on a, how God used his affair to save our marriage or our marriage is so much better now that we've had an affair because we understand and you're like, what? what, what? Yeah. <laughs> and you put that out, millions of people are listening and you go, no, no, no. Um, you know, the Bible says the immoral woman after she attacked you into hell will lick her lips and say, I've done nothing wrong. Yeah. Get a visual on that. Get a visual on that. That's a rough one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a uh, Proverbs. Right? Yeah, it's like Proverbs twenty-eight or something like that. And the next verse isn't, but after she's cast you to hell, your marriage is going to be much better. Yeah, it doesn't say that. And uh, it says you can't take fire to your bosom and not be burned. Yeah, so the scripture warnings are there. And um, but what can you do? People don't want to know the truth. But that we're getting back to the church thing. Um, I, I think the church serves and I think the I mean I mean especially in this day and age I can I can go to YouTube or I can go to the computer and, and there's a, a hundred great Bible teachings out there that I can listen to and, and I can learn and, and there's great books and everything like that and spending time in my word that's all great the church needs to be where the body comes together and builds one another up, bears one another burdens, loves one another, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know that that works in the format that we have. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think if we, if, if someone tried to live a church like the Book of Acts today, people would say they're a cult. Hmm. I have to think about that. Probably, yeah. probably. I have to think about that, though, but yeah. yeah. You know? And, uh, but so, I don't think so because there's there's a lot of openness. Well, one one of the big defining features of a cold is you can't leave. Like if, if you, they'll they'll prevent if you try to leave, they'll prevent you from leaving. That's a big thing. But yeah, I I feel like there was a lot of openness though. Like they were they weren't inclusive. Like they worked to bring everyone they possibly could into their fold. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. I'd ha I'd have to think about that. Yeah. But yeah. Very, so but here. Very powerful movement for sure. <laughs> they lived on purpose. They didn't. Um, 
so so um, they didn't identify themselves with what they did for a living or the kind of car they drove or the size of the house. Yeah, those were just things that they have, yeah. you know. And and the proof of that is, I've met Christians, very very successful Christians, and. You don't even know what they do because when you're around them, their focus is Christ. You know what I mean? They're not. God has gifted them in certain areas and blessed them financially, and they're very giving and, and very loving. And so, they don't. Their identity isn't in what they do. But if you go to most gatherings, one of the first questions that comes up is, "What do you do for a living?" And and I understand it's a social question, but after you say that people's opinion is then formed, right? Right. If you're a doctor, people are going to listen to what you have to say. If you're a janitor, maybe not so much. Right. And, and that's yeah. the polar opposite of what the scripture says. You right. know? The disciples were fishermen. Most yeah. of them were fishermen. There right. was, was a doctor and a bunch of fishermen and, and various other professions. But yeah, you know. And so we would look at that differently today, you know, and then um, so while I think it's great that the small group principle is out there, I, I think uh, I, I just don't I don't know that. I mean, if 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 you bring an unsaved friend to church and they come in, they do the worship. And then leave. They'll say, "Okay, it was okay." You know what I mean? But like, I had a friend that went to a church, and um, you know, he's he's very heavily tattooed guy, tattooed on his neck, the whole bit, right? He um he loves the Lord. He goes to his church, and he said, "You know, there's only like people that said anything to me." He goes, and then I realized they were greeters. That was their job. <laughs> to mm. talk, mm. no. Yeah. So they have no idea who you are. <laughs> yeah. So we have. I mean, I look at these um, uh, demonic abortion come down, and 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 I think we should be weeping in the streets for this. I mean, killing. Trying to okay killing someone after they're born. Yeah. How, how do we get there? Yeah. You know what I mean? How did we get there? And and you know, I've I've heard this said from a couple. I don't know who originally said it. Uh, but it, it's the saying that the reason the church has so little influence on the world is because the world has so much influence on the church. You know? Yeah. And um I I listened to this um one of those like minute blips of uh, one of Francis's recent services, and he talks about: you want to find a church that'll tell you it's okay to get divorced. You want to find a church to tell you it's okay to marry. You you want to find a church that'll tell you it's okay to do this. He goes, I can find a church like that because yeah. I can find someone who claims to be a Christian with a PhD. He was talking about when Paul's talking to Timothy, and he tells him, "But Timothy, don't you do that? You True." Yeah. The problem is, don't want to go outside. We want to be relevant. We want to be culturally. And if you're trying to imitate a person who was hated so much, he hung on a cross. I don't know how you do that by blending in. You know. Mm -hmm. And we're at such a. A crazy time in our culture that to be a nominal Christian. Yeah. Well, so. I think about I think about um, I was looking it up while you were talking, but I was thinking about Matthew twenty four twelve, and it says uh, basically the love of many will grow cold in the end times. Yeah. Doesn't it kind of feel like that right now? Oh, absolutely! Listen, watch people daily. And uh, I see the rage that they feel in their car. 
That's you know? California, though, too. <laughs> that is that is your California traffic. That's when millions of people are squished together and all have pressure to get somewhere. <laughs> but it's sad. Yeah, it's really sad. It's a horrible way to live. Well, it's funny. This is very getting in a tangent here. But I think it's very ironic that California has all these laws about free-range chickens and everything mandating that all eggs come from free-range chickens and it's like it's kind of ironic because they don't want these chickens to be you know cooped up in a cage where they can't move that's what every person living in southern california is like You're, you're like you know and so it's kind of ironic that they're so work it it i mean it's sad but it's it's almost like like californians know what it feels like so they have this compassion for caged animals because they know that they are caged animals out there, you know? It's yeah, or, or because I'd rather care for animals than people. That too, yeah. No? But you can't do anything. What, like, I've thought about it so many times, and I'm sure there are people who have answers to it, but what do you do about, like, just the massive homelessness and, like... You can't you can't stop people from moving to a state, you know. So if, if fifty million people, one sixth of our country wants to live all in the same place, what can you do about that? And like, how do you convince people? Like, hey, this really sucks. Some of you should move other places. There's other cool places to live. Not everyone can be here, you know. How do how do you what do you do about that? I don't know. It's a real problem. Just there's too many people there. Yeah, there is. There's too many people here. And but 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 that being said, um, you know, I just um, I don't know what you do when you say to people like, well, like I'll give you an example. You know, we have homeless people that come to our service every week, and uh, and 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 so. Uh, some of them, we said, hey, look, man, we can get you off the street and stuff. And they, they'll they tell me, no, I'm good, okay? And, and I say, well, can I do anything to help you? And they go, no, no. I just want to come to service. And, and you know, it's funny because, you know, we don't, we, you know, one of the things we don't do is we don't really take an offering because Cornerstone has blessed us to use the building for free. Mm-hmm. And some of the homeless people are the ones who will always want to walk up and give me money. Uh, for food and stuff, and uh, what's really funny is um, one of the guys that that goes sometimes, who's by far the wealthiest person in my church, complains all the time about people not giving money, <laughs> and so it's just the dichotomy of the two. But but then there's a couple that sometimes I will talk to them, and they seem completely out of it, and then other times I talk. Oh, and they they're, they're, they carry on these incredible conversations. There's this one guy. Um, have you ever heard of it's called Heads Up? What's it, what is it? A what? It's called Heads Up. And a person holds their cell phone to their forehead, right? And and everybody sees a thing. And then you try. It's kind of like charades. Oh, and you try to, right, right, right. Yeah. So we do the Bible one after church. And there's this homeless guy that's there. And, and, and he got every question right. And his theology was staggering. Wow. Right? But yet he has these miss, um, miss, what's the word I want to look for? He, he'll say stuff like, well, if somebody has a five-bedroom house in Simi Valley, there should be 10 homeless people living in the house. And you know, homeless people should be. And, and so it's like some weeks he's very coherent and he knows what's going on. And then some weeks it's he's just out there. And, you know, I, I don't. I don't know if it's textbook schizophrenia because I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I don't want to do away with the fact that I believe there is absolutely um, demonic influence out there. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Difficult. That's a difficult situation because how do you get someone off the street that doesn't want to be off the street? You know what I mean? If a person doesn't yeah. want to be off the street, well, that's you know? the thing, and 
I think I think what we're realizing in this country is we're we're wealthy enough and we're we're losing our motivation because if if you feel like you don't have what you need and you see a path to get it you're going to be motivated to take that path but a lot of people don't see it especially i think it's a lot of the college how all these jobs are requiring people to have college degrees now if you if you don't feel like you can get through college and you're kind of comfortable where you're at in life what motivation do you have like it, there's no path to improve you see no path forward and you're happy where you're at or you're, you're like well this is good enough so like why do you need to change anything you know right it's also hard to right. to make an argument that homelessness is a bad thing when like Jesus Christ was kind of homeless the last 3 years of his life you know and he women worked the women in his party worked and paid for everyone basically yeah, I'm not sure about that one. That I would say, like the women supported him doing that. Um, the women did work, but but let's. I, I do think, I do think Jesus's homelessness was very different than the homelessness of what we have today. Sure. And and, and yeah. the reason I say that is Jesus wasn't like sleeping in the door fronts of businesses right. and stuff like that. Right, right. And people actually, like, people actually took him in. <laughs> it gave him uh, somewhere to stay. But like he and, was, he and, was serving. Right, right. He and he came to serve, not be served. And um, but it's just like when when people say to me, you know, Mary was an unwed teenage mom. I, I find that incredibly offensive because today when we talk about teenage moms, we're talking about the fifteen-year-old girl that had a baby. Yeah. So when I tell people, if you want to say that Mary was like like your unwed teenage friend there, if your friend had God himself speak to her, send an angel to say that she's highly favored and that she's given birth to a baby, that's the Holy Spirit, then you can compare it to me. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know that that's a good analogy. Yeah, especially because like the age of marriage at that time was around like 15 to 18, I believe. And today well, she- the age of marriage is about 28. So if well, if Christ was born in the year 2019, Mary would probably be 28 or 29, not 15. Well, not 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 so much now because the culture has devolved. But the term "unmarried teenage mom" used to have connotations of a rebellious young person who went out and got pregnant by fornicating. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with Mary. Right, exactly. So I know, I know, I know a few people that um, are. They would say they're homeless by choice, right? Yeah. And um, one guy in particular has lived on his motorcycle for twenty-eight years. Wow. His stuff is documented. He's not by any means, but he documents the stuff on YouTube and stuff. But he works at uh, different motorcycle venues changing tires for vendors so he works about three months a year and doing that he, he finances the rest of his year so he he, so does he works he does work. he works yeah but he just does he he's turned his back on material things yeah which i don't see anything wrong with that me neither i know people who um actually you can you can um can follow them on YouTube and stuff. I, don't, I mean, uh, um, they've kind of they they gave up on the rat race, and they uh, they live in an RV, live in a van, and, and and who's to say that's wrong? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I, uh, I think if you have a family, you have responsibilities to. Yeah. Right. But if, like, let's say, let's say you woke up one morning. I don't want to. I don't want to live in Southern California. And I don't want to pay. You know, you buy a van or a small RV and not parking illegally, but you can. And yeah. I know that have gym membership. 
they shower and they go to work. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing times that we can do that. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think the biggest problem is this is outside of religion. This is like a secular argument. But in terms of society, um, you have able-bodied people who are not adding value to our economy and that they're taking from it. And that's, right. you know, that, that aspect is concerning. If you, if a guy spends three months out of the year, uh, working on tires, and then the reward he gets from that is that he can ride his bike the rest of the year and be okay. Then, I mean, that's his reward for the work he's done, but he's added value to our economy or society. He's added value, you know, but yeah, and yeah, I would say that's the major difference between someone that's whole they have a drug or alcohol problem or some yeah a home choice they, they and they're not or even if you look at some of the tiny house movement some of that right yeah um, I, I think the argument for like homelessness like around drugs or if someone's just stuck in it is freedom like like the religious argument would be like god wants you to have freedom in your life you know god right you know does it, it doesn't change like your salvation, but God wants you to be a free person. Well, I think, and, and, and this could we could very well be going into the secular realm, but I think absolutely people are imprisoned by their material possessions. Yeah, you know, and and let's say, um, see, here's the thing: like, it's, if you got the call or, or say you say, you know I want to live a life in ministry, right, and, and uh, serve and an opportunity comes for you to maybe go serve somewhere in a dirt poor ministry, maybe in another country, maybe here, you know, you say, well, I can't because I have all these bills and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, so I, it's, it's a two way street. For sure.